said they don't. They rarely oh. have a What does that mean? Temporizing. Bring that big word in tempo. here. I know. Right? It's, it it's sounds like you just the tempo. So it's it's the it's idea like, in, what is that, in a ver- bridge or in anything else where you're trying to gain time by slowing something down. You're right. trying to change the flow, right. the timing. The chest talk has entered the room. Yeah. Right. Now. You're, you're ahead. Well, you don't want to have a tempo here. Well, I think that I think that's really good is because every time you bring in a joint committee, all of a sudden you're involving the powers that be in the decision-making process of who's going to be on the committee, who's going to chair the committee, right. what's within the scope of the committee. One of the things that was really, really like beautifully ironic about the 1946 or 1945-46 joint committee, the Maroney, Malone, or Maroney Lafayette committee, was a uh, Lafayette. Was that uh, one of the charges that they were extri- like expressly not allowed to touch was party leadership power, like. If we're gonna form, if we're gonna form this, you cannot talk about empowering the speaker in any way, shape, or form. And of course, they did that anyway. They created like a steering committee in in the thing, and uh, Rayburn actually held it up for like weeks until they agreed to drop the provision from the bill, and then they allowed it to go to the floor. Um, so the Speaker of the House actually sp- held up the bill, denied himself power because he knew that it would create all sorts of grief with the committee chairs. Um, so he didn't bring it to the floor. I thought I just I love that history. But it, it's a perfect example of what these committees typically do: is you start bringing in all these really important, powerful people, and then suddenly you've got uh, them guiding the decision-making process rather than the people who really wanted the committee in the first place. Mm-hmm. In many respects, I mean, I I did the I used to study these committees at CRS, and I think the main thing about them is that they're not there to figure stuff out. Mm-mm. Right, stuff is already figured out, and the reason they exist is either to push off choices that Congress doesn't want to make and kind of bury them, or to try and focus the will to do something Congress doesn't want to do. Yep. That's when they—that's when they want to use these. More often, they're people just trying to end run the committee system because they can't get what they want. Right? right, and this is specific for the joint committees as opposed to select committees, which mm-hmm. are basically just for messaging. Right. Well, right. I mean, sometimes you can have something that. Well, yeah. Select committee on Watergate wasn't necessarily messaging. Was it messaging? But that was was that a select or was that joint? It was select. It was select because it was only the Senate that was doing that. Was that right? I don't know. The, the, Watergate is so complicated. Yes. Like, and I, I actually like reading about Watergate, and it's so complicated. Dude, There's so much stuff going you know on everywhere. You know what's awesome at Watergate is Bernstein. John Bernstein. He Watergate. knows a lot he about Watergate. He knows a ton about Watergate. Dude knows like, everything about Watergate. My um, dad was one of those Watergate types who loved reading about Watergate, and... Uh, I don't know if you remember, but when it was finally revealed who Deep Throat was, mm-hmm. my dad had already died long before this, but my dad was one of the people who spent time like trying to match up all the president's men and like oh, the Washington Post articles oh, wow. because you could cross-reference stuff, and he That's always had cool. like this short list of who Deep Throat was, and Mark Fell was, was on the short list, right? That's and cool. uh, Which is great, but I mean, yeah. I, knowing about Watergate is impressive because it has so many twists and turns because there's the grand jury and yep. there's the House Judiciary, yep. and then there's the select committee or whatever that was and the washington post it's yeah. all over the place yeah it's it's kind of it's 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 wild all right so we'll talk about select committees yeah i mean we'll talk about the budget committee we're talking about the, the, the particular select yeah i mean and i i joint, I, I, joint just, I just read through the text committee. and it's it's a little bit unusual in some ways it's just like a standard but it's being totally paid for out of the senate which i think is hilarious out of the senate yeah the senate's paying for the whole thing yeah. um and also it only has expedited procedures for the senate um, That's all you need, man. Well, yeah. No, but I mean, if if 
McConnell doesn't want to put it on the floor, the procedures provide a way to get it on the floor anyway. If Ryan doesn't want to put it on the floor, there's nothing you can do. Which is weird, because often when these things have expedited procedures, they have procedures in both chambers. <laughs> I mean, that's where budget reform's been most of the time. It hasn't been in the House. It's been in the Senate. It's been like Enzi and a few others in the, ha- in the mm-hmm. Senate who have been super interested in it. It has not in any way, shape, or form been part of the, the House. Like, or at least I haven't heard too many House members say, like, oh, well, it stinks. And it's sort of like they're not really looking into it, whereas Enzi, I think, actually has some, like, momentum behind the idea. And um, this is his this is his swan song, isn't it? His six years are up. Yeah, it's got to be it. At the end, he did he have, have two years before this? Yeah, he had four years um, when they were in the majority before, or two years when they were in the majority before. Now this is the last, last four. Because mm-hmm. he he asserted seniority at that spot, right? Over, Over sessions. sessions, yeah. And then and he ended up with seniority because of a lot. And Jeff, can you imagine Jeff Sessions, the budget budget chair? Yeah, it would have been really interesting. <laughs> it would have, would yeah, have been interesting. Would have been very interesting. Now, right, so we have some re- of these deficits, <laughs> we so we gotta account for the where this money's going. <laughs> <laughs> you can't. He's got like such an old Alabama accent, right? I love it. All right, we we've got to talk a little bit at some point about the legislative possibilities of gun control. Yeah, I mean, I think that's just, I think so. Sure, it's it's got to be there. Yep. Um, I mean, it, it's been a. It's been amazing to me how quickly the we might want to start with that actually. Yeah, it's been amazing to me how quickly the goalposts have moved on that. Um, well, that I mean, well, I mean, you see it happening. It's, I mean, the goalposts are moving because it's getting to something that's a little more realistic. Um, but I think it's been interesting that you know they haven't held firm on this. It's been like, oh, raise the age, like eighteen to twenty-one. It's like, all right, that's like the lowest of low bars in terms of like gun safety. Right. And it's not even clear that they're going to do that. The House, actually, sorry, the House, Florida, um, has just announced, or at least the governor just announced, that they're moving the age from 18 to 21. Um, After the legislature voted not to take up the legislation to do it? Yep. So well, they voted not to ban assault rifles. Was that what it was? It was a ban it was, or something it was like assault that. assault rifles that uh, the governor is now saying this can be so. Uh, Rick Scott is now saying it's going to be moved it, to 21. It was interesting to be down there this week. I mean, when Matt and I were both down there, um, and seeing what was going on, and we, we we both have the the opinion that this there's a slightly different sense this time. Yeah, that it's moving just a little bit further. Not necessarily yeah. all the way to massive gun control, but that this is just a little bit different. And yeah. you can't necessarily put your finger on exactly why, well, but I sense it's the students themselves actually are making a difference. I think that's stuff. right. Yeah. I think the other thing that's happened, which could be a consequence of that, but also I think a cause too, is that there are very few or fewer and fewer pro-gun Democrats left. The Democratic Party is much more unified about this. Um, now, here's a question. Here's a question, right? I mean, yeah, after yes, 2018, absolutely. it's going to be different. But right? again, like... Because the Democrats have suffered some serious attrition in the rural areas. But they're so, not trying to get the Blue Dog seats back. The pickups they're talking about are places... The Pennsylvania suburbs are places that are going to be gun control friendly. When they're Democrats going after win them. Pennsylvania 18 pretty hard right now. Pennsylvania 18, they they're may win in like three weeks and then they're going to lose it forever. They're going to place in Kansas, Wisconsin. I mean, they're going after the rural. Can you imagine being that candidate in Pennsylvania, the Democrat candidate in Pennsylvania 18? This is dogfight for special election, and the new 18 yeah. is the one seat in Pennsylvania that's been solidified for the Republicans. Yep, I think right. it's so, toast. He's going to win six months in the but, House. But, yeah, but, but I think I think the thing is like he would run. I think he would run in a different seat. Right. All I think he runs change. on a different seat. There's only no, no, no. The Murphy seat. I, yeah, yeah. Connor, Connor Lamb the is the Democratic challenger. So you can't say 18 now and 18 next. No, no, no. The seat that 18 becomes now, that area gets solidified into a GOP seat. It's the one, it's the one oh, place. With a different number. Yeah, it's the one it, place that it goes from like toss up or lean Republican to solid Republican. But he could, he could file for a different seat. Sure he, right. he could. Yeah. sure he could. Sure he could. But like 
that's not what any incumbent wants to do. Right. Now, of course, Pennsylvania is all on a mask. He's so. cutting a, a very moderate jib. He's 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 like who is Carlin? Yeah, he's he's. I was reading a thing on him this morning. He's cutting a very. He doesn't mention the president much at all. He's very sort of down the middle on a lot of stuff. He is trying to win that seat as like a just a moderate. Democrat. So here's something that uh, came up in the lunch I had today, is that when the Vegas shooting happened, okay, right after that was the Ossoff race in Alabama. In Georgia. In Georgia, rather. In Georgia. And so the National Democratic Party was very kind of hesitant to go hard on the post-Vegas gun control stuff because they were worried about that election. And now here you're again in the almost exact same situation where you have this school shooting in Florida, right. and now you've got the special election coming up in Pennsylvania. This time they seem less interested in muffling themselves. But it is a problem. Like This is twice now. You have two shootings mm-hmm. in the last year, both with special elections in seats that they're trying to pick up that aren't particularly friendly territory For more so in the more so in the in that georgia was that georgia six mm-hmm. in that georgia six race than in this pennsylvania teammate but it's the same kind of thing it's like there's always a reason it's not a good time right yeah. um and that's kind of the nature of this issue too for them though it's kind of never a good time in general when they right. have better things to talk about i i still think or easier things to i mean handle. that's that's like one of the most common political excuses i think we can't talk about this now right timing's not right i remember <laughs> it's I like remember it's, yeah. it is never ever ever I, right i remember that right. very distinctly in march of 2003 when brand new member of congress who i'm working for is trying to figure out what he's going to do on um, giving authority to Bush for the war, right? The Iraq war. Yeah. And the, the question at the time, what, what he basically went down the floor and said, you're telling me it's too early now to talk about these issues. Once we go to war, you're going to tell me it's too late to talk about the issues. Can you tell me the one hour is the right time <laughs> to talk about these issues? Yeah. That literally was his floor speech, and I thought that was dead on right. Yeah. Um, That's probably one of those floor speeches that nobody was watching. No, it absolutely wasn't. I'm not for a freshman member from North Carolina. Who the hell is paying attention to that? Yeah. But it was it was a good speech, and he ultimately um, came out and went into the local papers and said, "Hey, I'm against." Have you like ever, the week before bomb started? Do you ever use like the like floor speeches or one minutes as like kind of testing opportunities for like messaging or campaign messaging? Like, would you ever go down to the floor and like use like, hey, is this gonna play? Like, how do you think it's gonna be received? What kind of, what does it sound like when it goes out? So individual members, I don't believe, did that a whole lot. But I think leadership would get members to go down and do that. Leadership would try to test messages or plan messages ahead of time. They'd have a, a dozen one minutes on an issue, and they try to get people yeah. to go down and the just handle. What I love about this the is co- how Republicans get their members to stick to it, and Democrats don't. <laughs> the coordination um, of the one minutes is one of like those interesting party yeah. member issues. It's it's a total sidelight, but like. It seems like a place where the party should be coordinating things, and it turns right. out to a certain degree they are. But it's also like, just like one dude in the majority leader's office who's speaking like for a minute, running this, yeah, and setting it up. But it is like I did try. There was a point at CRS where I did track that, like how many days were the one minutes just off in the whatever people want to talk about, and how many of them were actually were kind of like driven. coordinated, or at least appeared to be coordinated. I mean, you can randomly all get on the same topic too if there's a shooting or whatever. Right, but um. And I never, I tried to do some interviewing over in the majority leader's office once. It never really went anywhere. I was like, can <laughs> I you? I wonder why. Can you talk about this ridiculous process? No. <laughs> <laughs> Not going to happen. Do you try to get 15 people to talk about the same thing? If so, how? Like, we don't. No, they wouldn't talk about it. It just never went anywhere. It wasn't yeah. like, it wasn't like the big secret. I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, I mean, it is interesting. I think 
if any, I mean, Republicans have had much more message discipline over the last few decades, I would say. It's very, it's really interesting, right? So I was with, um, I worked with a guy for a while who was in Republican leadership. It's a staffer who was, he worked for Lot for a while and worked for Coverdale and worked for Delay. And um, it was fascinating, especially his year with Delay. He was talking about how when the Republicans had the majority in the early 2000s, but it wasn't a huge majority. It was like 12 or 13 seats. Yeah. So it was always so hard for us. I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? Delay ran everything. I said, no, no, it was really hard. We had to give so much to get our guys to stay on board. Mm. And you guys just stayed together without any mm-hmm. issue whatsoever. It was just fascinating. So right. it all depends on where you're oh, standing. Totally true. Yeah, I think that's actually true. That's totally true. But I think there's actually some empirical evidence of this as well. I mean, when you look at the uh, book Asymmetric Politics and you st- uh, by, by uh, Hopkins and Grossman, they talk about how the Republican Party is much more an ideologically oriented party, yeah. whereas Democrats are a bunch of individual groups, right? Interesting. Uh, like loosely in, 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 in interest groups. And so I think when you saw One Minutes, I think it's not it's, it's fairly common to see Democrats talk about like the issue of the week. Uh, something random like uh, climate change, and then a couple other things. It's it's. I, Have I you seen of... Ted Poe on the floor? Mm-hmm. Uh, I've not seen Ted Poe on the floor. Yeah, mm-hmm. no. I mean, these guys. Judge Poe doesn't stick to whatever mm-hmm. the message of the week is. Well, that, I'm sure. I'm sure. But I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm talking about like average, like all on the whole, uh, right? It'd be interesting to see. I, it, you, the Democrats used to be really good with that. You could see them come down, and there'd be ten of them who did the same. Yeah. basic talk hmm. so I, when i was studying um, one minute seven or eight years ago for apps of paper i tracked uh one minutes over like the last 20 years about whether about national or local issues and precipitous drop in local issues in the one minutes and a move towards national issues which is probably a reflection of how members are are, are thinking about electoral incentives how did you code like local uh, I listened to the fucking one minute, <laughs> and uh, I judged whether it was local or not. Well, I mean, if you had and a national had, issue that references a, a local person, is that local or national? There you go. We had very specific rules, and we had an intern mm. do do it too, and then we'd get some intercoder reliability stats going. Like so it. you can I imagine, like you can imagine how office was. It did, however, lead me to discover a lot of my favorite one minutes of all time. I mean, I watched every traffic camp one minute for <laughs> 20 years. Yeah. I mean, so I should say, I say I watched it. I actually Is that read, how you came across I the actually, state road? Yes. Read them. I, I read the transcripts. Yeah. I, you know, you can search a congressional record for, uh, ask permission to, Whatever it is. An extent to no, our mission just has one, one minute. minute. If you just search that, you literally yeah. get the list of one minutes for the Congress. And so um, we also had great charts about the rise and fall of one minute. There's a period of time where they were allowing a lot more of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's been that's been largely shut down. But, yeah, Mr. Trafficant is... Uh, the king of one minutes. He's special. A random Trafficant one minute is more entertaining than the best one you can find from anybody else. <laughs> so all you have to do with Trafficant <laughs> to find all of his one minutes is just Google... YouTube. No. Beam me up. Yeah, beam me up. Search for beam me up. Beam me up, Congress. Beam me up, Mr. Speaker. Beam me up, Congress. It's kind of like the, he's like the Mike Capuano of the floor. It is. (laughs) Capuano here. Random Capuano. Random Capuano here. So is your idea. You started this in 2011. It's 2015. It's almost 2016. You call that active? (laughs) I yield back all the idiots in this chamber. (laughs) Beam me up. (laughs) <laughs> All right, so we're going to talk about oh, that's good. the likelihood of, Traffic of, of gun stuff starting to move forward. That's probably what we can start with. Did yeah. you know track, Did you know Traffic Kent was corrupt <laughs> when he was in office? Was that obvious to people? 
let's put it this way. It's the kind of thing where you didn't want to look too carefully because you weren't quite sure, but you knew if you asked the question, you might find out something you didn't want to know. Right. Mm. So it, it was never one of those. My favorite Traffic Camp story was, so my the boss, one of my bosses was Tim Valentine, and he was on the science committee. Mm-hmm. Traffic Camp was on the science. It was, uh, was it science committee? No, it was transportation committee. And they were both on the trans committee, and they were seated next to each other because they were temporarily came in and temporarily they came in about the same time uh, that's different temporalizer different temporalizer <laughs> uh, so they both came in about the same time and there's one time and, and Valentine had blown out his back because he was working on the farm and he was lifting 50 pound bags of cement and mm-hmm. he was 65 Jeez. years old and he just was he messed up his you're back still working I'm for, a member of still, Congress still working for his boss still all these years <laughs> later great. you should see how hard this guy works <laughs> on his farm he goes back to the district he lifts 50 right. bags 50 pound right. bags so of back, concrete every day killing him Right, his back is just killing him. Hay bales. And Trafficant came over and gave him this huge bear hug oh, and like God. lifted him off the floor. And yeah. you can just see Valentine's face in excruciating horror, yeah. waiting for Trafficant to put him down. And he did, but it was just like, oh my God, yeah. I'm so sorry, boss. And then he went and got surgery shortly thereafter. Oh my God, that chiropractic. Well, squeeze did not. Uh-oh. Now I got to give my Trafficant story because it also involves Trafficant squeezing me. <laughs> And I was. <laughs> it's a hell of a segue. <laughs> the B roll for this right. one. Oh, no, awesome. I, we're releasing this as a yeah. yeah. The first hour. It's the happen. first beer. The first beer. Yeah, so my. my uh, well, we certainly got to drop the F bomb. Yeah, well, <laughs> we laid out a little No, we don't. First hour. Yeah, we got we it. We have to beep. We can just put this in that beep, put that right in the spot where you drop it. When I was 20 years old, I was a college student I was an intern on the hill and I was working for Mike McNulty and I was waiting for an elevator I don't remember which building I was in one of the house office buildings and uh, the members elevator was there and I was waiting for the non-members elevator and the member elevator opens and I'm kind of standing there and it's like a member on it and then traffic can't right next to me and he goes in he's like get in here these scumbags won't care <laughs> and so I get in the elevator I get in the elevator and I say thank you congressman and that's a big mistake if you know Trafficant. He preferred being called sheriff. And so his response is, I say, thanks, Congressman. He goes, don't call me dirty names. And I said, oh, I'm sorry, Sheriff. He's like, that's okay. And he grabs me and puts me in a headlock and starts giving me notes <laughs> on the elevator. And uh, this is totally like, I mean, just seemingly normal. It's traffic. And another member, I don't know who the other member in the elevator was. He's kind of looking at us like, give me a noogie. And uh, <laughs> lets me go. And... Uh, <laughs> Let's be go and he's like, "Who are you working for?" And I told him McNulty. He's like, "Ah, oh, good." And uh, I'm like, "What are you What are you thinking about the? This is fall '98, so this is like September, October '98." And I'm like, well, "How's your re-election looking?" Just making small talk. He's like, "Well, they went and made this one about sex." <laughs> he's like, "And that's never good for me." <laughs> he's like, "You kind of lose control of the rudder." <laughs> And the elevator door opened, and I walked off, and there it is. That's, <laughs> and 20 years later, I'm selling the same traffic ant story. That's uh, a it's awesome. a really good traffic ant story. Yeah, Josh, you miss you missed being on the hill with traffic ant. Yeah, you know what? I I really if I wanted to be on the hill with anybody, and this is totally like hindsight. Wouldn't even have known this, but if unless a movie was made about it, Charlie Wilson, I wanted to be yeah, on the hill. That yeah. was, Charlie yeah. Wilson. He was, he, he looks like, like that dude. <laughs> I don't. I don't I, I, that, that's just, a good call, but I was. I'm going to have to say Rostenkowski. <laughs> I don't think there's. I think everybody's got a Rostenkowski. That's story. what I remember when I was at House of Probes. I was working with a clerk who had been there since like 1972, and uh, 
he's like, someone had told me like previously, they're like, look, anyone who's been here since the seventies, ask them for their best story about a member. And they're going to tell you a Rostkowski story <laughs> half the time. Half of them are going to tell you a Rostkowski story. So I go to the clerk. He's like, give me your, uh, give me your best member story. And uh, he thinks for a minute. He's like, yeah. Okay, it's a Rostenkowski. <laughs> All right. I uh, I asked. Uh, so there was at a staff run a program. Worked on ways and means for like decades, and uh, I asked her like it's like so you know you were you've been there like what is what like working with Rostenkowski? She just <laughs> laughed at me. Just like <laughs> <laughs> well, it was interesting. <laughs> like just kind of left it there and like very very. It was an incredible <laughs> personality. I don't have any personal stories, but the, the best story I had was when I'd heard which was Andy Jacobs was another member from Indiana, I think a Democratic member from Indiana who was high up on the Ways and Means Committee. And Rosinkowski always held court at Kincaid's, right? Mm. Not in, in Georgetown or near, not near Georgetown, whatever, GW, near GW. And he would get in one of the big back booths and they had great steaks and all kinds of stuff. And he'd bring, he'd bring Jacobs there and try to order him the biggest steak he could. <laughs> Jacobs was a vegetarian. <laughs> Right? So he was always just sticking it right to him. He, you know, get him in the booth and get him trapped and he'd get him, you know, the Give my friend a 24 right ounce porterhouse. Great stories. That's great. Oh man, that's I mean it's way that's one of those things that's like way funnier in hindsight, and if you're there, it's just totally uncomfortable. Oh, <laughs> right? Man. I'm a vegetarian who's being ordered a steak by a member of Congress. <laughs> I was, I, by, I, I, and I'm a high ranking right, member yeah. of Congress, but not as high as yeah. Him. Not, I don't have any. I, I obviously don't have any firsthand Rostenkowski stories either. But I was talking to a guy once who was at Andrews for the '90 budget oh, deal, and Rostenkowski was there, of course, and. They were mostly, the members were just mostly waiting around. I can't remember if they stayed overnight there, but there was a period of time where they were basically in some sort of like dorm room setup where they're just hanging out for hours on end. And I think it might even been overnight. And he's like, for whatever reason, it's just me and Rostankowski in a room for like seven hours. Oh my God. (laughs) He's like, he's like, I learned more about politics in those seven hours (laughs) than anywhere else. I think the key quote was like, Rostenkowski's main political advice is like, you don't have to be smart. He's like, look at me. I'm stupid, but I know how to screw people. And that's all you need to know. <laughs> yeah, and that got him just so far till it got him to jail. I love members of Congress. <laughs> I don't know what this bill does. So I don't know what it does. I don't vote for it. You don't know what it does. Why are you putting it forward? Yeah, like, you don't, you don't that. know what it does. He's over there. You're reading the paper. Don't know what that thing does. Who wrote that for you, Jim? Who wrote it for you? You didn't write that. You didn't write no that. No idea. You have no clue what your bill does. <laughs> Credit swap. <laughs> yeah, swap. swap. You have no idea what that is. Probably think it's a cotton swab. No clue. <laughs> oh my god! It's just great. I mean, because it's true. I mean, the people so who can awesome. like the people who can like actually admit it. I mean, it's totally true, right? In, in mm. many cases, like, well, it's such a it's such a wonderful home style too. If it yeah. works in your district, if like your district. If, it, if that works well, in your district, I, I tell you what, like, remember what Capuano represents? Yeah, freaking yeah. Harvard. Yeah, I know. And well, it still I, works. I, well, the thing is, I, I was no, I was impressed. I don't know. I don't know if you guys if you guys heard the interview that uh, Senator Manchin did with Politico not long ago. One of like the forty-seven billion podcast that Politico puts out there. I forget which one it was, but he did an interview one-on-one with a guy from Politico, and I mean, you listen to this dude talk about politics in West Virginia, and you're like. I know exactly why people from West Virginia elect this dude right? Right. every single six right. years and for governor and for anything else that he runs for because he's able to communicate politics in a way that is totally, 
totally resonant with them. Right? He talks about right, his grandfather's right. uh, 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 history. He talks about his grandfather's uh, work. I like used to like, I used to sweep up like floors in my grandfather's like shop or whatever. And like you know, he mm-hmm. told me all this advice, and you know, he be and just he brought it into like he was able to take this little small business that his grandfather had owned, and basically put out a whole lot of advice about <laughs> deficits, debt, like fiscal policy, um, like social policy, what we can do, what we can afford, how can we, it was just, apps, it was just amazing, amazing. It's it's really, really interesting. And if you have the opportunity to go listen to that, right. do it. It's really good. It's really, I mean, and you can get it. And it's interesting to see that Republicans are going after Manchin because obviously they see him as low hanging fruit. West Virginia lost. Uh, Trump, sorry, sorry, the President Trump won West Virginia by 42 points, yeah. like the most sure. ever recorded. Um, and so they see uh, Manchin as an easy target, but I, I tell you what, like given the, that's a midterm and that's Joe Manchin, uh, I don't know. I don't uh, think they're going to get it. I, I, don't. Gonna, I think it's hard. Yeah. You know, I, you know, that, I think there's lower hanging fruit than Manchin for the Republicans. Yeah, yeah. yeah I think so too. Those, uh, you know, there's that famous, not to take this all political science, but there's that famous picking article about representation which kind of takes the kind of traditional like delegate versus trustee model about mm-hmm. how you represent people and says, no, you've got to explode this because it's much different than that. And she talks a lot about gyroscopic representation yeah. where it's not about issues. It's about people electing someone who's like them and have this inherent trust for someone who's like them. So if you come from a farm district, yeah, right. they just want to find a farmer who's a legit farmer. Mm-hmm. And so this kind of goes to the explanation of why members spend so much time developing their credibility as one of you or someone who is this district or is like the type of people who are in this district. Um, and that has far-reaching implications for all sorts of, like, ascriptive racial representation in in kind of, uh, in kind of elections, right down to kind of these uh, industrial and job sector things. Have you seen the guy, the Democrat, who's running against Ryan in Wisconsin? No. He is... I, I know nothing about him except right. that he's a union leader and looks to be in construction. And this guy looks like the epitome of a hard hat, lunch pail yeah. construction guy, mm-hmm. uh, right down to kind of the mustache and like the, you know, strong build. And, uh, and, and I, all I could think about is like, this guy probably has come to just see that he can't necessarily beat Ryan on an ideological campaign in that Wisconsin one district. So he's going to try and beat him on a, Man of the Home people, a man, man of the people kind of gyroscopic representation uh, attitude, with of course ideology thrown in, and that's going to attract some voters too. But really playing that up, I mean, his I saw his mailer, and it's just like, oh my goodness, it's like him strutting down a construction site. With, it's I mean, like, wow. ninety four speaker loss. So yeah, it's, it's possible. Yeah, it's not likely. Mm-hmm. But I don't think anybody thought no. Tom Foley was going to lose either. No, mm-hmm. no, no, they did not. They All did right, not. so are we just going to talk about those two things? Or you, we got yeah, I think we should do that, and then just go like totally anti agenda and see what pops out. All right, let's turn off the first hour. This has been uh, Congress one beer <laughs> in. This is going to be released as B roll. I think we're, it's going to get weird. After I think this. we so might even good. release this simultaneously today. Oh, with the second episode. Let's make sure. Let's see if anything recorded. Well, you got to get a little